Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Excuse me. Um, sorry, but excuse me. Is someone sitting here? Uh, no. That's my briefcase. I must have oh. forgot I put it there. <laughs> An accident. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it's always hard finding a seat here in the evenings. Yep. Crazy weather we're having, huh? Listen, man, I really got to write this oh. here. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry to bother you. Are you David O'Malley? Yep. Did you write for the blog, Seen But Never Found? I do. Can I help you? Is your father's name Philip? It was. Was? He passed while I was in high school. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I did hear that. You look just like your father. Who did you say you were again? You probably don't remember me. Uh, my name is Michael. And um, your father and I used to work together a long time ago. Where? Well, we used to teach a youth Bible study at St. Mary's. Those were good years. Um, but I'm also a supervisor for a tool and die company, and I got called to move to Pittsburgh. Regrettably, I never saw your parents again. What made you come back? I got a new calling. Doing what? At a church. Um, I helped produce the curriculum for all the Sunday school classes. Well, this might be a coincidence I may regret, but my editor wants me to write a piece on Christianity. I, uh, do you mind if I pick your brain for a moment? Sure. What's your angel? Angel, angle, yeah, I get that. I'd laugh, but it wasn't funny. Listen, I need to come up with five questions I would ask the Lord if I had an exclusive interview with him. I just don't know where to start. Well, if it was me, I'd start at the beginning. Where? At the moment it all started. I'd ask him, why did you send him? David O'Malley, he's a blogger, and now he's got an assignment. He must take on a topic. What's the topic? Christianity. You can tell he's got a background on the subject, but he is struggling. He's obviously been embittered. His dad died. His dad was a Christian. We heard his dad was a Sunday school teacher, worked for the Lord, and he dies while his boy's a teenager. If you can relate to that, you might understand why he struggles. He's been hurt. So he's turned from his faith. He's become a skeptic. And what does a skeptic do? A skeptic wants to poke holes into what it is that they are struggling with, what it is that they don't believe. And for David O'Malley, it's Christianity. But now he's been assigned a task, an exclusive Imagine if you had an exclusive, his editor tells him, and you can ask God five questions. What are they going to be? 
I think deep down inside, David wants to ask questions. Even though he's coming across as a skeptic, he doesn't really want to do this. I think deep down, skeptics who want to poke holes in whatever it is that they don't uh, believe, I think they have questions. And they keep pushing those questions away. Because what would happen if those questions were answered? They are doubting, they are denying, and answers might wash away their doubts. Answers might confirm what it is that they deny. So they don't want to ask the questions. It's hard to admit that you've got questions, especially if you've been hurt. David O'Malley, it seems he's been hurt. He's got some pain, and he's confused about Jesus. What is Jesus all about? Well, a skeptic, sometimes they're truly a seeker. They just really don't want to admit it. David, in his struggle, seems like maybe there's a sliver of seeker inside him. He's comfortable with his position. He is comfortable in his position of a doubt and denial. But he's met a friend. Well, he doesn't think he's a friend. This guy, Michael, just walks into his life. And Michael is acquainted with the family. David feels like, hey, I can maybe pick this guy's brain. Maybe he'll help me with my assignment. So what does Michael do? He tries to put him at ease. And he gently, gently walks him to his first question. It's a why question. Why questions are often tough questions, hard questions, and maybe if we had an exclusive with God, we'd come up with some why question. One off the top of our head might be, why all the pain and the suffering? And that's a common question. Michael leads him to a different one. Why did God send him? If you could ask God a question, why did you send him? And him, of course, is Jesus. Why? Why did he come? Let's explore this question this morning and find an answer. And if you're a David O'Malley in the audience today, I hope you receive the answer and you take it in. If you've been questioning, here's an opportunity today to get an answer. And if you're a Michael, the one who does gently come alongside someone to help them. This might offer you just a little bit more to answer questions. I think it'll be helpful for both the Michaels and the Davids who are here today. When it comes to God and the Bible and Christianity, uh, these questions are, are sometimes just perplexing. Where do we start? Where do we start? There's great places to start. I suggest God's word. Well, where in his word? Again, 
there are many great places to start. We're going to start today in the Gospel of John. The Gospel. The Gospel is the story of Jesus. And what does Gospel mean? Gospel means glad tidings or good news. It's the good news about Jesus. These passages in the Bible called Gospels, there's four of them. We've been reading through the Bible together as a church since January 1st, and we've already covered one of the Gospels. We've read through the Gospel of Mark, and we've learned some of the story of Jesus. We've also read a good portion of the beginning of the Old Testament, the first three books of the Old Testament. We've read together uh, some of the Psalms and a good passage in the New Testament beyond that Gospel of Mark. But if you've been reading along with us, you've read the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And I encourage all of you who are here, if you're visiting with us today, you can pick up the plan. It's right there in, a, in our bulletin. You can find out what we'll be reading this week. And if you need the whole plan, just go online. You can get the entire plan. You can catch up. It's a great way for us to be together and to be in God's Word. In the Gospel of John, it is a great place to start. It's a great place to begin uh, the story of Jesus. Verse 1 of the Gospel of John tells us that in the beginning, Jesus existed. And it says, he was and is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This idea of the Word is Jesus. It's a reference to Jesus. That first verse tells us he is God. And then there's verse 2. And if you're a first-time reader, you might just stop hard on verse 2 because it says he was with God. Now, it causes me to scratch my head. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and now he's with God. What does that mean? How is he God and then also with God? That's something to think about. John's going to explain. You can't stop hard there. You have to keep moving. You have to keep reading. Ponder it, yes. Jot down a note. What's he talking about? In the beginning, the Word was God. Now he's with God. Keep going. Keep reading about this Word, Jesus. He's light and he is life. And when you get to the 14th verse, not too far into it, you might stop again because it says something even harder to understand. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This Word, Jesus, became flesh. Stop again. What's this all about? Jesus, who is called the Word of God, he became a, a man, flesh and blood? Incomprehensible. Very difficult to understand. But John is doing his best to explain divinity to us. In that verse 14, 
John goes on to say, Jesus was sent by the Father. All right, so now, we, now we're, we're making some progress. These two, Jesus, who was in the beginning, was God, now he's with God. Here's the idea that's unfolding. There is a Father and there is a Son. God who's one is two. He's a Father and he's a Son. John's making his way through an explanation. The God of creation is more than a single unit. He is a father and a son. It begins to explain to us some of the questions we might have from verse 2 if we stopped hard and scratched our head. And then John goes on. He doesn't give us any detail about Jesus' birth, just that, hey, he became flesh. He became a man. And John leads us right into the adulthood of Jesus, his ministry, when it begins. He was baptized. And John the writer introduces another John, John the Baptist. It's an appropriate name for a guy who baptizes, don't you think? So we have John the Baptist who baptized Jesus. And this John the Baptist is recorded here in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. He said something about this baptism of Jesus. He said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven and remain on him. He said it was like a dove. Well, that's interesting. The two have become three. John introduces to us the Holy Spirit. John is quickly laying a foundation for Christianity. God is one. God is one, but God consists in three. Being one, he is also three. He is a father, he is the son, he is the spirit. John wants to lay this foundation. He must lay this foundation. And he's going to get to the answer to a, a question like David O'Malley had, but he wants to lay this out about divinity about the divinity of God Almighty. It must be understood. Now he can get to answering some questions. Why? Why did this Jesus come in the flesh? Why did the Word become a man? He has taken on humanity. Even as this, this one God is three. Now part, the son, becomes a man. Why did God the Father send him? John, the writer of the gospel, explains more. And I want to share with you from the first chapter of John. And for those of you who read it this week, it's a review, verses 29 to 31. They read this way. The next day, John saw Jesus coming. So the next day, this was a day after Jesus had been uh, potentially baptized and John was talking to public figures about why he was baptizing. John the Baptist was confronted. Why are you doing all this? Now the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, for the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. There's a couple of bold statements in here made by this John the Baptist. Very bold, very bold statement. He identifies Jesus as more than just a man walking the earth. He's more than just flesh and blood. He says something very peculiar. He said, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus now, he was a Jew. He was living in the, the central portion of Judaism, right there near Jerusalem, which had a temple where the Jews worshipped, and they also made sacrifice. Now, this mention of a lamb and sin, it could only mean one thing to the Jewish ear, only one thing. They wouldn't be confused. A, a Jew would understand this from the jump. Lamb and sin, this means something. The mention of the lamb and the sin can only mean sacrifice. The lamb to which John referred could only be a sacrificial lamb to atone for sin. That's why the Jews offered lambs and other animals. It was for sin. The sin offering was to be a lamb. Now, I know a lot of you read through the book of Leviticus. We just finished it. And you read all about these sacrifices. The sin offering was a lamb without defect. A perfect lamb was to be selected for sin offerings. And it was an offering that had to be repeated over and over again. This was not a one-time deal. One lamb and that's it. No. It was a continued effort because sin continued. John makes another significant point. Not only the lamb and sin, but John says it's for the sin of the world. Now, that's an interesting point. It's not just for the sin of an individual. As the lambs had to be brought for people who sinned. No, this, this lamb that John's pointing to is different. He is the lamb of God, and he takes away the sin of the world. And this lamb, John points him out. That's Jesus. There, that guy walking over there. He notes that that's the one. Why did he come to this earth? Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Why did the Father send the Son? We're making some progress, and we're not even through the first chapter. Jesus is the sacrificial, sacrificial sin for mankind. John the Baptist, he was prophesying, but he didn't even know the full plan. He didn't unfurl the, the full plan. He didn't say how Jesus would be sacrificed. He didn't say when Jesus would, was going to be sacrificed. But the implication was there. This is the sacrifice. John made that bold statement before everyone. The sacrifice for the world. Something else. Something else was pretty significant in what John said. 
He identified Jesus as pre-existing. If you know the story of John the Baptist, you know that John the Baptist was older than Jesus. He was born before Jesus was born. I've never said to my kid brother, well, you came before me. Well, it doesn't make any sense. I never said that to any of my cousins. John and Jesus were actually cousins. Why would I say to someone who was born after me, you came before me, unless there was something true about it? John the Baptist said, he came before me. Why did he say he came before me? He has surpassed me. He came before me because he is God. In the beginning was the word. He was there in the beginning. He was God. He is God. And John boldly says it. John the Baptist saying he was before points to Jesus as divine. He is God in the flesh. And he's here for a purpose. He's here for a purpose dealing with this problem called sin. There's the main reason for God coming to this earth as a man. And yet there's more. Isn't there more? There's more to it. John the writer, he closes this first chapter and he reveals more about, John, uh, about Jesus. He reveals more about this lamb who's taken away the sin of the world. He closes his gospel, uh, or that first chapter of the gospel, with the narrative of a man named Nathaniel. And it's interesting, and it adds more to this idea that the lamb of God is here. He is the sacrifice. There's more for those who would come to believe. It gives us more insight into why God would send him. So I'll give you a little of the backstory of Nathaniel. He was sitting or standing under a fig tree. His friend came to him. His friend Philip came to him and said, Hey, Nathaniel, I've met someone you need to meet. I believe that he is the one who has been written about. I believe he's the one that Moses talked about. All the prophets of old wrote about that he is the Savior, the Messiah. You need to come meet him. He's the one. And Nathaniel is perhaps a little bit like a David O'Malley because he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth. And he said, ah, what good can come out of Nazareth? And his friend tells him, you just come and see. Just come and meet him. Come and meet him. And when Nathaniel's walking toward Jesus, Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree before your friend was even there. Now, Nathaniel must have been under some secluded fig tree. He must have been somewhere where he knew Jesus could not see him. Yet Jesus said, I saw you. I saw you. And what did this do to Nathaniel? Moved, moved him in his heart and he said, you are the son of God. And Jesus responded to him, listen, Nathaniel, because you believe now, after I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, I want to say something more to you, Nathaniel. You will see greater things. 
you will see greater things than this. And then the last verse of the first chapter of John's gospel, verse 51. This is what uh, Jesus continued to say. He then added, very truly I tell you, Nathaniel, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, now there's some more here that needs to be explained. What is Jesus talking about? Angels ascending, descending, and the Son of Man and all that. Heaven opening. Well, heaven was opened. Heaven was open after Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. His closest followers, those who were called the apostles, the 12, they were standing with him when Jesus began to ascend back up into heaven. Two messengers came and stood next to these 12 and said, what are, you, what are you all looking up to heaven for? This Jesus who's gone up, you will see him again. He'll come back in the same way. So they watched him rise up into heaven. And I think that in fulfillment of what Jesus told Nathaniel, literally, you're going to see this. But he said more. You're going to see angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. This is an illusion here. Jesus is alluding to something. And he's alluding to a passage in the Old Testament. We've already read in the book of Genesis about a man named Jacob who had a dream. Jacob had a dream. Jacob, who became Israel... He was on his way to uh, Padanaram, where he was going to find a wife. And he stopped for the night, laid down, he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw a ladder or a stairway from earth to heaven. And at the top of the stairway, there was the Lord God Almighty. And on that stairway, in Jacob's dream, he saw angels, angels ascending and descending. It's the exact same words that Jesus used. It's a, it, Jesus was pointing to that for Nathaniel. Jacob said, after he had this dream, this is the gateway to heaven. He called the place where he was at Bethel, the house of God. Because he saw God and he saw this, this connection between earth and heaven I don't know that he fully understood it. But now Jesus brings this up, and there is something immensely different in the words of Jesus. There is something, and if you don't know the dream of Jacob, you might totally miss it. But there is a, something significantly different between Jacob's dream and the words of Jesus. And the significance is this. The stairway in Jacob's dream becomes Jesus, you will see heaven open. Angels ascending and descending, not on a stairway. Jesus didn't say uh, it'll be a stairway or a ladder. This is not going to be some rope thing you got to climb. No. No, he said, Nathaniel, you will see this on the Son of Man. On the Son of Man. Now, this is a reference to Jesus. What did Nathaniel call Jesus? He said, you are the son of God. 
And what did Jesus say about himself? I'm the son of man. What, what's, what's John here in this first chapter trying to get across to us? He is laying a firm foundation. God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He sent the Son in the flesh to be the Savior of the world, to be the Lamb of God who takes away sin. And now he's making a, a point here. He's pointing out that Jesus is fully and completely 100% divine. He's the Son of God, but he's also 100% human. He's the Son of Man. Jesus is the only one who is God and man. Son of God, son of man. And because of this, this sacrifice that Jesus is going to make when he dies on the cross and he truly becomes the, the lamb of God, he makes this sacrifice in the natural. His natural body is crucified. And there's been some... Uh, sects and, uh, and splinters of Christianity that would deny that Jesus died in the flesh, that somehow he transcended this or he was, he was in spirit when he was... No, he died literally, physically, naturally. He was a man who was nailed to a cross and he made that, that sacrifice. But that sacrifice had supernatural consequences and results. The opening of heaven. Jesus, the son of man, could touch earth. And as son of God, he could touch heaven. He's the only one who could make that connection. Heaven and earth were connected by Jesus. They were separated because of sin. In the creation account, there's God and man, and they're together. And then something happens, and there is a break there is a separation, and it's because man disobeyed God and ushered this thing called sin into the world, and only Jesus, only Jesus could reconnect. Only Jesus could bring that connection back together. Only he could span this chasm of separation or this canyon called sin because he is the one and only person who was 100% God and 100% man. He was the way to make this connection. Without Jesus, the canyon's impassable. The chasm you can't get through. Oh yeah, we try, don't we? We try. We do a good deed. We help someone. We think, oh, this is, this is what's going to earn me favor. This is what's going to get me into eternity. I'll do this nice thing. I'll, I'll pay it forward. Well, of course, kindness and paying it forward, those, those are all great things. And we say, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't really need that, Jesus. I'm good enough. I'll make it to the hereafter. God will definitely smile on me because I'm a good person. But no person is good enough. There is no good person good enough. Every single person who would call themselves good has sinned. And they need to take care of that. And that's the point of the Lamb of God. He is a necessity. He is the only one who was perfect. He had no defect. The Lamb that was, that was prescribed in the book of Leviticus as the perfect Lamb. It's got to be perfect. 
Pick one without defect. That's Jesus. He is the only sinless, perfect man to walk the earth. And that's why Jesus could be offered as a sacrifice and the only access way, the only gateway. And because of his sacrifice, now there's a connection between heaven and earth. Jesus is that connection. Angels ascend and descend, messengers of God. How much more those of us who believe can have access to God. The stairway that, G, that Jacob saw is fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. He is the one way, the entryway, the gateway to God in heaven. It's only made possible by Jesus. The Bible calls him the new and living way because he's alive. He's not some dead, inanimate object. He's not some rock stairway. No, Christ Jesus resurrected. He's alive. And this idea of a connection is, is a mediator, someone who would do something on our behalf with God Almighty. And that's not a proposition that we just believe for the future. It's not something we say, okay, great, I get it. Yeah, I'm David O'Malley, and I get it now. Okay, great. I can say, good, Jesus took care of my sin. See you in eternity. No. Jesus isn't there for some future time where you're going to expire. No, he's there for today. He is the new and living way. He's alive. He is there for today and for every day. Every day, he is, a, he is a living reality. You don't want to wait to access God on the day you die. Don't you need him today? I know that I do. I know that I do. I need his help, and I need his wisdom, and I need his guidance. I need his, his direction and his encouragement. I need his provision and his protection. I want his love, and I want his mercy, and I want his grace, and I want it today. I don't want to wait till the day I die. This is Jesus, the new and living way. He's the way from heaven to earth. He made a way. He made a way for you. He made a way for me from this natural earth to connect with our divine creator. He's the only way. He is the only way. I don't know if there's any David O'Malley's in the room today, but if there are, consider what we've just talked about. There's only one way, only one way for you to access divinity. There's only one way for you to access your creator. There's only one way to enter into eternity with everlasting life. And that's via Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was a sacrifice for your sin. And he made this way to connect you from natural earth to divine heaven. If it's you this morning, I just want to take a minute with you. I want to ask you, just reflect inside yourself. We are going to sit down and uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper communion in just a minute. And anyone in this room can join us who has made the Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. And if you haven't done that, 
I'd ask you to refrain from communion. And if you don't refrain, it's not going to be of any effect to you. But if you want it to be an effect to you, this sitting down at his table where we renew ourselves with him and we, we acknowledge that he died on a cross and he shed his blood for us, I'll take a minute with you right now so that you can make that decision to say, Jesus, I need you. I know it. I'm beginning to understand why you came. I may not get it all, that's okay. But I got this sin problem I need to deal with and I want to lay it aside and turn from that sin and I want to connect to heaven through you. So let's take a minute and just look inside. Any of you David O'Malley's? And I want to pray with you. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to make yourself known only to God. And I want to pray with you. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the one and only who made this connection for us, God, if there's any here who have that heart right now to say, I understand and I need to be connected to you, Father God, and I understand the only way is through Jesus. And I'll say, I'll turn from that, that life of me trying to do it my own way. And I understand I've sinned and I'm imperfect and I need Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. So I'm gonna lay this sin down and I wanna say thank you, Jesus, for being my sacrifice. And I want your direction and your wisdom and your guidance and your provision and your protection. And I want your love and your mercy and your grace. And I know I need it. So I ask that, Father, in that name of Jesus, right now, amen. Amen. And I want to ask our uh, elders and our deacons, if you would prepare for us the Lord's Supper. We want to sit down and renew our covenant with God right now. Jesus did something significant and powerful. He was God with God. And he let that go to become a man and walk this earth and feel pain and suffer. Shed his blood for us. Today as we sit down Let's honor that as we sit down together for this meal. Let's honor that and renew that covenant he made for us and with us. I remind you of what we're told in the scripture about this time of communion. From the apostle Paul, he said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you.